Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Chun Yukun, the Bro. We talked a few weeks ago about Yan Ying, the Short King. Today let's talk about another figure from a little bit after Yan Ying's time, a bit later now, so it was the Warring States era rather than the Spring and Autumn. He was also well-known to be quite short, but who emphatically punched above his weight. And he not only admired Yan Ying, but was also from the state of Qi in eastern China. But unlike Yan Ying, he had a much more roguish reputation. A sexy reputation, even. He was a notedly popular party guest. In fact, stories about him, which have even left their imprints on the Chinese language through multiple proverbial expressions, suggest that he might have been something of a sex god. The Han Dynasty historical records by Sima Qian recorded many of his deeds in the chapter called Biographies of the Wits, or Biographies of the Jesters, as it's sometimes translated. Today we're talking about Chun Yukun. Chun Yukun was born in or around 386 BC, and he would live until 310 BC. He clearly came from relatively underprivileged background, although the details are lost in time. We know he must have come from the wrong side of the tracks because he was a Zhui Shu. This term, Zhui Shu. Shu just means son-in-law. But Zhui, which has stayed with us in Chinese tradition and language, is when a man married into his wife's family rather than the other way around. So, traditionally, the Chinese thought of marriage as the wife becoming a member of the husband's family. So, their children would take their father's surname, allowing the husband to satisfy his traditional duty of continuing the bloodline. Zhui is the opposite form of marriage, in which the husband became a member of the wife's family, and their children would take their mother's surname. And the practice originated in the state of Qi in ancient times, before spreading to the rest of China. The custom in Qi at the time was that the eldest daughter of a family, although I think this might have been limited to aristocratic families, had to stay with her family because she was responsible for conducting rites of ancestor worship. This meant that she couldn't marry out and join her husband's family, which meant that if she was ever going to marry, it had to be a Zhui marriage. But, as continued to be the case for the rest of Chinese history, men generally didn't want to be in a Zhui situation, because they felt obligated themselves to pass on their surnames. So, typically, a man would only accept a Zhui situation if he came from a much more impoverished background than the woman. A man perhaps so poor that he otherwise couldn't afford 
to marry. Chun Yukun was such a man. Despite this background, Chun Yukun then became a member of the school of Jixia. Jixia means beneath the Ji gate, the Ji gate being one of the gates of the capital city of the state of Qi. It was here that the king of Qi created a school that welcomed the scholars from various intellectual traditions to come and lecture. And it became one of the most vibrantly intellectual places in 4th century BC China. Chun Yukun became one of the most noted figures there. And he and a number of others at the school wrote books presenting their ideas on politics and philosophy and other subjects. Having achieved prominence, Chun Yukun became sought after as a political advisor. At one point he was introduced to the king of Wei, with the understanding that the king might wish to hire him. But twice he met with the king, and twice he noted that he didn't enjoy the king's full attention. So he simply sat there and said nothing. The king thought this was weird. But after it was explained to him that Chun Yukun said nothing because he noticed the king's distraction, the king granted him a third audience. This time, Chun Yukun and the king hit it off and talked for three days straight. At the end of the three days, the king offered him a senior position in his government. But Chun Yukun declined and left. He then had another celebrated interaction with another king, the king of his own country, King Wei of Qi. Early in his reign, King Wei was a notorious playboy who spent all his time partying and drinking, leaving affairs of state to others. As a result, the state of Qi was in a perilous situation, but no one seemed to be able to get the king to take his job seriously. Entered Chun Yukun. History books tell us that Chun Yukun said to the king, In the state of Qi there is a great bird that lives on the grounds of your majesty's palace, but for three years the bird has not made a sound. Do you know why that is? The king took his meaning and replied, This bird may not have flown all this time, but as soon as it flies, it will shoot up into the sky. It may not have made a sound all these years, but as soon as it cries, the whole world is going to hear it. Thereupon, King Wei of Qi transformed himself from a playboy prince into a great king and a great military leader. Much the same way Prince Hell grew into Henry V. Part of King Wei's transformation was in appointing a new and capable chancellor, a man named Zhou Ji. But Zhou Ji's appointment ruffled some feathers, because he was new on the scene, having joined King Wei's court 
only three months earlier. Chun Yukun came to him, and in veiled terms, one by one, made five policy recommendations. And one by one, Zhou Ji understood his meaning, and accepted his recommendations. Satisfied, Chun Yukun left, declaring that the king had indeed found the right man to be chancellor. Because Chun Yukun was famous as a wit, as a man who was quick on his feet and always knew what to say, the state of Qi employed him as a diplomat and often sent him to the other warring states for negotiations. But one time he kind of messed things up. The king of Qi sent him to the king of Chu with a swan as a gift. But on the way, the swan got out of its cage and flew away. Nevertheless, Chun Yukun continued on his diplomatic mission with only an empty cage. When he met the king of Chu, he showed the king the empty cage and said, When I passed a river, I thought I'd let the swan come out and have a drink of water. But the bird flew away. I thought about killing myself to satisfy the guilt of having failed in my mission. But then it occurred to me that your majesty would then be blamed for valuing a bird's life more than a man's. I thought about buying another swan as a replacement, but then it occurred to me that doing so was dishonest. I thought about running away, but that would damage our two countries' relations. So here I am, with an empty cage and my apologies. The king of Chu appreciated his honesty and rewarded him for it. On another occasion, after the states of Qi and Chu fell into war, the king of Qi sent Chun Yukun to the state of Zhao to seek an alliance. Chun Yukun succeeded in his mission after first persuading his own king to increase the gifts that he was to take with him to the state of Zhao. With the Zhao reinforcements coming on the scene, the Chu army withdrew. Overjoyed, the king of Qi wanted to celebrate with a banquet, to which Chun Yukun was, of course, invited. Now, I said at the beginning of this episode that, even more than as a diplomat, Chun Yukun was famous as a party guest, and for his sex appeal. How do we know this? You have to read between the lines a little, because we're getting our information from these very dignified history books. So, matters of sex are likely to be phrased in veiled, euphemistic terms. On this occasion, as the king looked to celebrate, he asked Chun Yukun how much alcohol he could drink. Chun Yukun gave a long reply. If your majesty gives me something to drink in court, because I'm worried about being proper, I get drunk after one measure of alcohol. If elders come to my home and I drink to their health, as I try to stay respectful, I get drunk after two measures. If good friends, whom I haven't seen quite some time, come to visit and we talk into the night, I can drink five or six measures. If there's a party in the neighborhood and men and women sit in mixed company without worrying about propriety, and we play games, and the men and women start pairing up and start holding hands and start staring into each other's eyes, 
and even the earrings and other jewelry start to come off. Then, after eight measures, I'm still not quite drunk. And as day turns into night, and the party is almost over, and the guests who remain, men and women, sit on the bed together, and their shoes are scattered on the floor, all mixed up, and the used drinking cups on the table look like weeds growing outside a wolf's den, until finally even the candles are extinguished, and the host of the party has asked all the other guests to leave, but has asked me to stay, and I can smell that scent when someone takes off her silk dressing gown. Then I can drink ten measures of alcohol without being drunk. So here, with the smallest amount of imagination, we can see he's describing almost an orgy, certainly an instance of getting lucky. Out of this passage in the biographies of the wits in the historical records of Sima Qian, we get the proverbial expression in Chinese, Liu Kun Song Ke, to ask Chuan Yu Kun to stay while showing other guests the door. It's a sexually charged expression, meaning asking the object of your attraction to stay the night. Over time, it even came to be used to refer to prostitution. Given Chen Yuquin's reputation, given his celebration of parties in mixed company, perhaps you won't be surprised to hear that one time he debated Mencius, that second sage of Confucianism, on the question of proper conduct between men and women. Mencius, being the sort of nerdy, studious, class president, valedictorian, pocket protector-wearing kind of moralist that he was, had preached the importance of maintaining boundaries between the sexes. Men and women who are not married to each other should not touch each other. They shouldn't even hand things to each other directly. A man like Chun Yuquin must have thought the Confucians utterly ridiculous on this point. So one time he asked Mencius, suppose your sister-in-law has fallen into a river and is drowning. You're not married to her, so you can't touch her. Does your doctrine mean you must not reach out and help her? Do you mean to say that you would watch your own sister-in-law drown? Mencius replied, with annoyance that we can sense even through the classical Chinese, that of course in that scenario he would help his sister-in-law. To see someone drowning and not help is beastly behavior, Mencius replied. And the importance of not behaving like animals overrides the rule against men and women touching each other. It's a fair answer, I suppose, but Chun Yuquin's point that these Confucian strictures are just a little bit ridiculous is also well taken. Certainly we moderns would tend to side with Chun Yuquin on this point. And yet, interestingly, this and some other debates between Chun Yuquin and Mencius are recorded in the book of Mencius. But there you have it. The legend of Chun Yuquin, intellectual, wit, diplomat, 
political advisor, invariably the life of the party, presumably great in bed, someone that others either wanted or wanted to be. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.